Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Great. So let's open up our Bibles together. Can we do that? It's amazing that probably the most impactful and history-altering words are even today, are the very way that we record history is to this very day pivoting around those words. The most impactful words ever spoken by a human being. Can I read those to you? John 19 verse 28 says this, and it speaks of this man called Jesus of Nazareth as he hangs on a cross. And verse 28 says, after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said what? It is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, I do not doubt whether you are the most hardened atheist historian or you are a committed Christ follower, I do not doubt today whether or not these are the most history-altering words that have ever escaped the lips of a human being. I don't doubt that today. I don't think that's even in question today. Without a doubt, these are the words that have shaped the human race more than any other. But my question to both of us today, to my heart and yours, is simply this. If these are the most powerful words ever spoken by a person, how do those words impact your heart today? What is the altering work, not just in history, but in your life, in your parenting, in your finances, in your singleness, in your future? How are these words impacting you today? It is finished. Because guys, guess what? We live in a culture that is completely opposed to this idea of a finished work. Can we agree today that we live in a culture that's all about hustle? That's all about performance. That's all about achievement. It's all about what you have to do to find worth and identity. Isn't that true? Can we just get an amen? Guys, you will have to speak with me today. Is that all right? You cannot be quiet. I will literally be quiet if you are quiet. So amen and yes and mm and give me like something when it speaks to you. So I am a big fan of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Any Dwayne The Rock Johnson fans out there? And... This guy with his 250 million Instagram followers, what a champion, but he is one of the poster boys for this new hustle culture that we live in, because he will regularly say that he sleeps maybe two to three hours a night because he's always working, he's always in the gym, he's always the hardest worker in the room. Or how about Elon Musk, the newly minted, one of the richest men, at times the richest man in the world? Changing the world, absolutely. But just a couple of years ago in an interview, he said that he regularly, over the last couple of years, he was working 80 to 100 hours a week. And he said, he made the statement, if you're not working at least 80 hours a week, what are you doing with your life? Hustle, perform, achieve. Young adults, you will agree that status amongst your peers in the workplace, it's earned. Yeah? Students and teenagers, Romantic, sexual relationships, it's something that's transactional. That's what our culture says. You better give of yourself if you want to receive. You better put your best foot forward, otherwise someone will move on to the next person. Or even parent relationships. Very often we have strained relationships with our moms and dads because we have to find their approval. 
We have to earn their approval in life. Everything is about hustle. And so our very nature and our very culture is opposed to this idea of a whole religion, a whole faith that's built around not what you can do, but what has been done. Not you can now begin, but it is finished. And that's why today we are going to start a series for the next couple of weeks called Not Do, But Done. And this is one of the core messages of the Doxeter family. And I want to take us through the basis of what our faith is about. Because guess what? If you are a Christ follower here this morning, it doesn't matter how many years or decades even, you have been following Jesus. The temptation is always there for us to say, I start with tears in my eyes, looking at the grace of Jesus, what he's done. And then I just go back to achieving and performance and earning. And the weight of my faith starts to buckle. So how will we do that? Just recently I was reading a book and a famous pastor said in it that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so my question to you this morning is what is the strongest thought in your heart and mind? What is the driving force of your life? What's the narrative or the news that you live from in here? Is it one of achievement and performance and earning? Or is it one of a finished work? If you ask me, where do I start with Christianity? If someone were to ask you maybe, how do you start with healthy living? Or, you know, um, getting to the gym or maybe financial freedom. Maybe you will say, well, the place that you start is here's the plan. Here's the next step. Here's the financial model you need to follow. And if you ask me, where do I start with Christianity? I will say you have to start at finish. That's where you start. So can I show you, if you open up your Bible with me to the book of Colossians, that's in your New Testament, one of the many letters that this guy called Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to some of these early churches. So keep paging past the early books of the New Testament until you get to the book of Colossians chapter 2. And in it, Paul, he's in prison at this point. He is suffering for this good news of the gospel. But he's writing even from prison to this young church in the city of Colossae. Why? Because they have encountered people that have come into the church and they are now sharing this different message. This message that goes counter to the gospel. And this so grieves the heart of Paul. He says, no, this can't happen. The church can't be gripped by this different message. that so he's saying, I'm writing to you and I have to speak to you about this issue. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter two, but I'm going to just touch upon key verses in it. So just keep up with me. Is that all right? So Colossians 2 verse 4, amen. Thank you, whoever that is. I love you dearly. Uh, Colossians 2 verse 4, Paul says, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. Verse 6, so then just as you have received Christ, Jesus Lord, continue to walk, what? In Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Jesus. And you have been filled with him 
who is the head over every ruler and authority. Verse 13. And when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Verse 16, therefore don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or the matter of a festival or a moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Jesus. Verse 20, so if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Amen? What a powerful portion of Scripture. And Paul comes out and he says, listen, I want to make it clear just once again, what is the good news? What is the good news? And Paul comes right out and he says, listen to me, Christianity is not a religious system. It's not a fivefold path. It's not a task to be completed. It's not a prayer to be prayed. What is Christianity, he says? It's a person. Christianity is a person who through a finished work brings us into relationship with our Father who comes to reconnect us, reconcile us, bring us back to the one that our hearts long for. You can be atheist, agnostic, you can be spiritual, you might just not even care, but I know that deep in your heart, you are longing for love. You are longing for forgiveness. You are longing for reconciliation with something you don't often even know how to pronounce and speak about. And Jesus comes and says, not you can find me, I have come to find you. He says, that's good news. That's why even in chapter 1, verse 28, he says, I proclaim him. We proclaim him. And why is that? Because I often think, if you're not really in this churchy thing, I think people very often think that if you ask them, what's the point of Christianity? What's Christianity about? I think most people in our city would say that Christianity is a bunch of people who want to live better lives, right? We all want to be better we all want to be more moral and more, you know, good citizens. We want to be better people. And Paul would say to that, that's very nice, but I don't agree with you. Christianity is not a bunch of people that are putting their trust in trying to be better people. Christianity is a bunch of people that are putting their trust in the historical work of Jesus Christ. Not in what they can do for God, but in what God has done for them in Jesus. And he knows. That's why Paul says, man, even in prison, I am giving literally my entire life for the proclamation of this good news gospel. Why? Because he knows that the world is desperate for identity. It's desperate to be known. It's desperate to be told, I love you. And that only comes when you reveal Inside this Jesus, when you understand this Jesus, when you hear this Jesus, embrace this Jesus, and he knows 
that the day that it happens in your life, the implications of that Jesus in your life, it's endless. The implications of being reconciled to the Father through the finished work of Jesus, it's endless. What are some of these implications? I still think the best way to understand this, and the Bible often uses this example, is that of marriage. Because marriage, on that wedding day, you are getting what? United to some other person. And in that union now, the implications of that union is beautiful. Because now, for instance, you have a friend that you can talk to and connect to. You have a confidant that shares your heart and your soul. You have a spouse that tells you, I love you and I accept you. You have a lover with whom you can be physically intimate. You have a co-pilot for the adventures of life. You have a companion that seeks the very best for you. And you have a partner for the good times and the bad. The implication of union is endless. And here Paul, he comes out and he says, listen, this is not a system. This is a person whose life, death, and resurrection brings you into union with the Father. And that union, the implications for your life and your heart and your future and your past, for your work and your your singleness, your parenting, all of it is different, he says. So I love probably one of the most important Bible scholars of our time, N.T. Wright, commenting on this passage, he says this. This is so profound. He says, Christianity is Christ. Put him in the middle of the picture of the world or your world. And what? The world will stop spinning in incomprehensible circles and begin to make sense. He is quite simply what it's all about. If you put Jesus at the center of your life, the confusion, the, the, the comedic confusion that this life can be will suddenly make sense. Christianity is Jesus. And I think of these implications. We can't go even through most of them today. Let me just give you two examples. One of these implications of being united with God through a finished work is this phrase that Paul uses over and over and over again. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to say, what was the phrase that was used most in this passage we read this morning? And it's this phrase, Christ in you. Paul says it the whole time. And what is he saying? He's speaking about the fact that God, through Jesus, comes to make a permanent indwelling with his spirit in your life. He's not camping out for a week. He's saying, I'm coming to make my home in you. And the implication of that is massive, friends, because it means that now you have a love in you that cannot be foiled by something that happens in your life. Yes, COVID. Yes, recession. Yes, things happen. But this love will never leave you. You have a love like that. You have a joy that can literally outlast wars and famine and the destruction of a very nation. It's in you. You have a peace in you that can seep deeper and deeper and deeper day by day into the very core of your soul. Even as the world spins out of control, you can have a peace in you that becomes stronger every decade of your life. You can have a clear conscience. I am absolutely free today, even though my past is broken. Even though I will fail and fumble this very Sunday as the pastor of this church, I can have an absolutely clear conscience because of Jesus. It's not with me, it's in me. You can have a character 
that every single year of your life is getting shaped more and more into who God is making you to be. So into your work, into school, into friendship, into marriage, you can bring the love and the hope and the joy of the kingdom. And you can have a mind that every season of your life is being transformed and shaped into who Jesus is, into his thoughts, into his thinking, into his perspective, so that you can dream big for the kingdom of your life. Don't live a simple, significant life. Take up the calling that God has for you in the kingdom and dream big because God is not making his residence next to you or close to you or with you. He says, I come to live in you. And that's a finished work. What devil or destruction, what word or what curse or what anything in the universe can stand before God when he says, this one is mine and say no. Show me that force. Show me that word. Show me that bad season. Show me the depression that can take away what God has established. No, he says it's Christ in you. Maybe one more. He says, he what made past tense you alive. Did you notice that every single action in that scripture was past tense? Every single thing has been done. He has destroyed. He has established. He has rescued. He has renewed. He made you alive. Did you hear that? That's a finished work, friends. What did you do in that sentence? You accept who he is. You follow the one who makes you alive. And so what are the implications of this? It means that no matter how dark the darkness in your life becomes, it cannot erase this. It means no, no matter how confusing some of the confusion in your life becomes, it cannot take away what he has done. It means no matter how much ridicule you experience from friends or colleagues or family members that you are that weird Christian person, it cannot take away the fact that God is not going to make you alive. He's not going to one day do something he's kind of faintly promised. He says, I have made you alive. Christianity is not, friends, about us waiting to go to heaven one day. Hello? Do you hear that? Christianity is not about going to heaven. It's about Jesus bringing heaven to where you are. Saying, I come to make you alive today. And that will just echo into the new creation. He says, Jesus did a finished work. You cannot add to it or subtract from it. You can bow before it and make it alive in your heart. Okay, but that's not all good and well. We're all like nodding and yes, good stuff, gospel, Naka, Jesus. But then why is Paul writing this letter to the church? If we know this, if you know this, why is he writing this letter? Why? Because a different message was coming into the hearts of the people. And I can faintly guess that for some of us this week, that message was the ruling thought of my life. And so what is that? Paul calls it fake news. You know what fake news is? So let me tell you, I mean, this, this absolutely blew me away. This is one of the most incredible things I've read in a long time. This is life-changing. Let me share it with you. So the World News Daily Report, they recently ran this story of an Italian historian called Ignazio Perucci. And not too long ago, he found in one of the archives of the Vatican, one of the earliest recorded eyewitness testimonies of the miracles of Jesus. 
they say it's even earlier than the earliest New Testament documents that we have. So this document shows, it speaks of an eyewitness testimony of Jesus resuscitating, bringing back to life a stillborn baby and handing it back to its mother. Friends, that's life-changing. This is irrefutable historical proof of one of the earliest miracles of Jesus. This is insane. I mean, this, this story has been shared 50,000 times on Facebook, this article. It's incredible. There's just one little issue, tiny little detail with this story. You know what it is? It's absolutely fake. <laughs> Not a single detail about the story is true. It's bogus. This so-called expert is just a random photo that someone took from the internet with a made-up name. And these so-called tablets, it's from a random 2010 article on Wikipedia. What is this? It's fake news. And every single time you open up your phone and your grandmother has sent you something by some tinfoil hat guy on YouTube about the end times and COVID and Bill Gates and who knows what else. And every single time you scroll to the bottom of News 24, you'll have these articles about you will not believe. what ha- We are confronted with fake news all the time. And the unfortunate truth is the more fake news confronts me, the more I'm drawn to it. And Paul is saying, listen, Colossian church, there is the good news and then there's fake news. And the good news speaks of a finished work. The fake news says, oh, that's just the beginning. Now you can start hustling for Jesus. Now you can earn his trust. Now you can please him. Now you can fully identify with him. Yes, Jesus is a good start, but he's not enough. He is not enough. He's not enough for your past. He's not enough for the brokenness that you've experienced. He's not enough for the healing that you so desire for things that have happened to you. He's not enough for the week that you've had. He's not enough for the emotional depression that you experience. He's not enough for the family tension that you sit with. He's not enough for the brokenness in your finances that you experience. He's not enough for your future. Maybe, but he's not enough. He's not enough for COVID. He's not enough for our country. He's not enough for politics. He's not enough for your marriage that's struggling. He is good, but he is not enough. That was the message in the Colossian church. And here's the unfortunate reality. Professor David Rand from Yale University says, the more fake news, through various studies, they've shown the more fake news you are confronted with, the more you begin to believe them. Can we just agree that in COVID times, holy smokes, what do you trust? (laughs) All right? I've spoken to so many doctors that say, dude, even in the research, we are so confused at the moment because everyone is just pumping out fake news. Every single day you're hearing a news story on this side and this side and this side and this side and we are confronted with it and we begin to believe it and we begin to live from it. And Paul says there is nothing more destructive and sad than when a Christian who has the message of a finished work on the cross for them When that hope is dislodged in their heart and they begin to hold on to this different news. This, oh, now we can start, friends. Now we can hustle. Now we can go to church and do. And now we can give. And now we can perform. And now we can be righteous. He says there's something so sad in that. Because your freedom is going to disappear. Your peace is going to disappear. Your joy is going to be sucked out. And it's all going to be effort. It's all going to be religion. It's all going to be the treadmill. He says it's sad. 
So let me give you two examples of this fake news that Paul addresses here. The first one says this, Jesus is not enough, so what? So do and do and do and do and do. You better do. And so what do we call that? We call that the treadmill of religiosity, right? It's on the treadmill. It's not a finished work. It's almost there. Just a little bit more. You're almost there. You're almost. Come on, just, just give a bit more. Just, just lead a bit more. Just attend a bit more. Just pray a bit more. Just help old ladies across the street a bit more. Just be moral. Just be helpful. Just be strong. Just be courageous. Just be faithful. Come on, you're almost there. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Friends, that's literally the definition of insanity. That you keep on doing the same thing and you're hoping for different results. And so Paul, in this passage, he uses examples like he said, you know, food and drink and festivals and new moons and Sabbath days. These were the things that were getting loaded back onto the early church. Yes, Jesus is nice, but what about the new moons? Oh, Jesus, but what about the Sabbath? Oh, new, you know, what about the festivals? What about all these things? Yes, Jesus is good, but he's not enough. And in our case, religiosity, trying to be a good person is this. For most people, if I ask you today, many people today, how is it going with your relationship with God? You know what most people are going to say to me? Joe, I'm trying. Right? They'll start with saying, oh, you know, I haven't been to church this week. You know, but I, you know, I, I said I'm going to read the Bible this year, but I really haven't gotten into a group. But this week I'm back at church. This week I'm going, to, I'm going to go back to my community group. I'm going to pick things up again. I'm going to start praying again. Treadmill of religion. And what happens is if we don't understand the worth of what Jesus has done on the cross for us, then we will always be on the treadmill of these four W's that our founder and Dr. Dale, Alan Platt, he always calls works, wavering, and worry. It's always focused on my works. I'm on the treadmill. What have you done this week, next week? What have you done yesterday? If you did well yesterday, you can come to church. If you struggled last night, you better not pitch up here today. At least for the first three songs, you better keep your hands just to the sides until God is pleased with you again. Because it's always based on your works. What have you done and then what? Then we waver. Oh, goodness. So instead of having this consistent faith, is Jesus no longer true today? Then yes, you need to worry and you need to waver. But we don't trust in him. We trust in what we can do in my performance, in my track record. And because we are human, hey, I'm a human. You're a human. Welcome to the human race this morning. That means that you are going to fail and fumble. And if that's true about you, as I know it is about me, it means that you are going to roller coaster behind that failing and fumbling. Oh, I'm doing well today. Man, I've read my Bible like three times this week. I've gone to community group four weeks in a row. I am doing so well. God is good, friends. Jesus, you're right in the front, hands in the air, and then you hit that wall. Then you do something in the dark that you are so ashamed of that you never come back to church because you are wavering. And what happens? Worry. It's never, I'm never sure. I'm never sure. God, do you, are you there? Do you love me? Do you even speak? God, I, I, maybe at once, when I was younger, you did some good stuff. Maybe even in the Old Testament, there were some pretty epic things happening there. But God, are, are you even here today? God, COVID, like I don't even know anymore. You know how many people globally have just stepped outside of faith in the last year? Can I submit to you why I think that is as pastoral as I want to be? 
It's because we are basing our security on what we see around us. So there's always worry. I'm always on the treadmill. Nearly there. Come on. Just keep almost, almost there. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And just contrast that. I love how Paul in Galatians 3, in the message paraphrase of the Bible, he puts it like this. He says, are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? (laughs) I love that. Paul's like, guys, here's my pastoral heart. Stop the craziness. You crazy person. How can you begin with God? And then it's all you. You will have no peace. You will have worry. You will have wavering. You will have works. No, he invites us to say, find yourself in a finished work. Wake up in the morning saying, it's not me, it's him. And the second version of this lie is, you know what? Jesus is not enough. So what? You better not. Don't, 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 don't. Isn't that what everyone thinks Christianity is about? It's that thing where you have no fun in life. Where you are told a million ways plus one how not to enjoy life because everything is a don't. That's Christianity, isn't it? So read what Paul says. He says in verse 20, If you died with Christ, your old life, your brokenness, your sin, your oppression, if all of that died with Jesus to the elements of this world, then why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to these regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Friends, Paul is saying, beware. If you encounter these man-made religious structures that you have to adhere to, that says, don't this, don't, no, not that, don't listen to this, don't look at that, don't, don't go to this place, don't touch this, it's all going to oppress you and find you and break you. He says, those things sound so wise. Wow, this person is so mature. With all these things they've put in place to box themselves in. But he says those things will take you nowhere. Those things, Paul says later, if you keep on reading, he says they have no power to make you a passionate follower of Jesus. They can make you a very sour person. But they cannot make you a passionate follower of Jesus. I mean, just think about this. This is helpful to know. The the Colossian church had two groups of people in them. Very much like Hatfield, a diverse group of people. There were non-Jewish Christians and Jewish Christians. So Jewish people who became Christians and non-Jewish people who became Christians. And for the Jewish Christians, their life previously, so these two groups, their past looked so different. For the Jewish Christians, their past was found in keeping the Sabbath laws, keeping the kosher laws, keeping the festivals, bringing offerings to the temple. That's how they found security in their relationship with God. These non-Jewish Christians, they were pagan. They were caught up in a polytheistic, many gods world. So for them, you had a God for everything in life. There was a God for fertility and a God for work and a God for marriage and a God for everything. I'm sure there was a God for your Xbox and for the ESCOM, you know, load shedding schedule. There was a God for everything. Guys, we need to appease the load shedding schedule God, I'm sure. And so they were used to that. And can you imagine... Groups like these who found security in these outward acts to then hear a news that says it's not what you can do. 
but it's what this Jesus has done. It's a God who has come in person to come and absorb your brokenness and death, to come and defeat the enemy and sin, to take it upon himself and then say, it's done. Can you imagine the joy in those groups? They start like that in faith. But then what happens? Now this group comes into the church. And they say, yeah, that's good. That's a good start. Jesus is a good start. But you Jewish Christians, if you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to be strong, if you really want to please God, you better keep the Sabbath laws. You better eat kosher. And he says to these non-Jewish Christians, yes, Jesus is a good start, but if you really want to experience peace in your heart, if you really want to have a victorious Christian life, then you better not mix with the wrong people. Then you better make sure you not eat certain meats in certain temples. They are saying Jesus is good, but he's not enough. And that is what this Fake news always does, friends. What is it? It's morality and religiosity. And it piles on top of you. You begin with Jesus and he's great. And then it's morality. Be a good person. Do this. Do this. Do this. And it's religiosity that that bikes you in. And it says, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And eventually you have no joy. You have no passion. It's been buried under a mountain of moralism and religiosity. Because what are those things? What does moralism and religiosity tell you? It says, if you can first modify your behavior, then God will bring you peace. If you can change your life, your heart will be changed. And so what does it say to you? For instance, it says to you, if you take, if you take this purity pledge, young people, then God will overlook your sexual past. If you commit to giving your tithe to the church, then God will sidestep your shady business practices and bless your finances. If you commit to coming to church every single Sunday and you don't miss one of them, then God will have so much peace about you. If you stop experiencing attraction to the opposite sex, then God will come and make his abode in you. If you stop spending money on secular music, oh, you will experience such a peace in your heart. If you stop drinking alcohol, then God will finally be pleased with you. If you, if you don't, then. That's what this message says. If you fast, if you pray, if you give, if you sing, if you commit, if you bow, if you purchase, if you know, then God. Or don't. If you stop dancing, if you stop looking, if you stop enjoying, if you stop attending, if you stop observing, if you stop exploring, if you stop engaging, then God will. And Paul says, this is fake news. Don't live with this in your heart. And just last, just, just be with me in this moment really quickly. Why does Paul say that also so passionately? Because he knows this. Because he's, you're saying, wow, this is such a great message. Jesus does and I just keep on going in life. Whatever I want to do. Paul says, you don't understand the gospel then. He says, because if the finished work of a God who comes not to be served, but to serve with his own life, of the value of that, if that gets into your heart that day and you break before him in love and in forgiveness and in joy, the day that you get up from your knees and you know that I'm a different person. I'm not perfect, friends. There's no 24-hour microwave Christianity in this life. But you know that you know that there's something that's happened in here. Then you will move from an I have to to an I want to. God, I don't want to give my body to just every person sexually anymore because of who you are. 
God, I don't want to stingily give the very last cent of what I have to the church because of who you are. God, I don't want to harbor unforgiveness towards my dad on Father's Day because of who you are. When the good news becomes truly good, your life, it's, the Bible says it's like a tree. <laughs> the fruit, you are as surprised as, you, as your friend or your mother or your colleague or, or neighbor is because it just happens. Don't live with fake news. So just to end off, I've used this example before, but I think it's so powerful. So 1944, Japan, the Japanese army, they sent this lieutenant called Hiro Onoda. They sent him to these islands in Lubang. And in the middle of this great world war, he was stationed there to do guerrilla warfare and, and, to, and to have a station for the Japanese and to make sure the territory is protected. But here's the crazy thing. This is a true story. This is not fake news. You can go and read it for yourself. When the great war ended, the news never reached this guy. And so get this, for the next 29 years of his life, he spent it in these jungles, protecting, fighting, surviving for his country, fighting a war that had been over for decades. And only when his superior officer, when they found out what was happening and they sent them to this island to come and almost decommission him from service. When the news reached him that the war is over, his life changed. Friends, I want to invite you today to say that our culture is all about hustle. Earn it, achieve it, perform, make your name great. And here comes Jesus in John 19 and he says, not what you can do, but it is done. It is finished. Has that news reached your heart? Because Jesus does not say, man, guys, whew, I've, I've tried my best. Okay, good luck, guys. Keep going. No, he says, I have come to do what you can never do. And that love that you are so desperate for, that forgiveness that you so long for, that acceptance that so eats away at you, he says, I come to bring it to you. Bow before that and allow it to bring you new life. Amen? It's not what we can do. It's what he has done. So I'm going to ask us today, you'll see that we prepared communion. And I'm going to ask us, not usually we make this quite a group effort, but today COVID and even just for the sake of this message, I want just you on your own just to spend two minutes in the presence of God. Because just think about this, God. What, what did Jesus leave his disciples on the evening before his crucifixion? Did he leave them a prayer? Here's a task. Here's a path. Here's a system. Here's the page you need to read every day. No, he said, I leave you a meal that points to not what you are going to do, but what I have done. This meal is not looking forward. It's looking backward. And so when I take this meal, I'm literally mind, soul, spirit, and body saying, Jesus, once again, come and capture me for your finished work. So can I ask us, the worship team is just going to join me on stage for a second. And maybe all of us can just stand.
If you want to take a second and just be with God and just close your eyes and just speak to Him, come and fetch some communion elements in the front and just spend a minute in the presence of God and let Him come and minister to you. Can we do that? Let's do that. So Jesus, I just pray for all of us this morning. May we be captured by the good news of a finished work. And as we take this this bread or this wafer, God, as we, as we drink of this juice that speaks of your spilt blood for us, may we just be absolutely captivated, not by treadmills and religion and moralism, but by the powerful historical work of Jesus. Pray that in your name. Amen. Let's take a moment. Let's worship in communion.